When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Good morning. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk of Radio. How was your weekend then? punctuated by plenty of walks in the park filled with the joys of a stroll on the beach a bike ride down to the common let's face it anything was going to be better than being stuck in the house watching the slavering creepy and quite loquacious mainstream media practically falling over themselves about joe biden more of that later first up this morning we're talking about the two big stories that actually affect people in this country and they are the second lockdown whether it's working and brexit whether the past its sell-by date house of lords will actually reject the internal markets bill today the answer is to the second question almost certainly yes and to the first one almost certainly no 0344 499 1000 coming up we're investigating what's going on out there with the new lockdown rules yesterday a man playing the bagpipes was shoved over by police after he tried to take part in a veterans remembrance sunday commemorative parade he was later arrested another man received a 200 pound fine for going for a cup of tea with his mate in wigan just what exactly are the rules and when do they apply we'll be finding out we'll be talking to brendan o'neill from spiked online 0344 499-1000. Later on, we're joined by Peter Hitchens for his take on the latest lockdown liabilities and the Remembrance Sunday rules that left thousands of people disappointed they could not take part. And we'll be visiting the Duke and Duchess of Netflix who felt that they had to have their very own private session in a war cemetery. And luckily there was a photographer there on hand to capture that very private moment. Angela Levin will be talking to us about that. And last, but by no means least, we'll bring you the real news in the US presidential election. Guess what? No one has actually won it yet. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, as if you weren't confused enough, because you might have thought over the course of the weekend that we were somehow living in the 51st state of America. I put on the news last night and it was like a sort of loop of democratic speeches. Joe Biden this, Joe Biden that, healing the nation this, healing the nation that. Lots of people talking about the first day at the coalface of being the new president. Sorry, all a complete and utter load of old gobbledygook. So we'll be bringing you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the US election process, about how it works, about why Biden hasn't been elected yet and why everyone who's calling him the president-elect is a complete plank. And I include in that our own news service because they're calling in the president-elect. I, in the Independent Republic, have not recognised that Joe Biden is the new president. Not because I have anything against the guy, but simply because the process has not got through to the bottom and the end of it. I'll bring you more on that coming up later on. First up, though, let's talk to Professor Carol Sakura, former head of the WHO Cancer Programme, Dean of Medicine at the University of Buckingham, because we've got lots of questions for Carol this morning. Professor, a very good morning to you. Welcome. 
Morning. I like questions. Good. I like answers. So in that case, we are <laughs> beautifully mutually suited to one another. First of all, um, I guess the first question I've got for you is, has the Welsh lockdown, which they called a, uh, a fire break, actually worked? Because I found out, I think it was on Friday, that Merthyr Tidville is one of the most infectious places in the entire country of Britain. Um, and if they've been locked down for two weeks, how is that possible? Uh, it's it's very very strange the whole thing we have a cancer center in wales and actually went there to newport uh 10 days ago mm. the sad thing is the center of newport you go down there poor people shops shut irrevocably shut closed notices boarded up completely pubs all shut everything shut people wandering around with nothing to do two-week firewall fire break as it's called wonderful what happens you know Sure, the numbers go down a bit, the R number goes down a bit, but as soon as you come out today, the schools are back, the pubs are open, it'll be up there. Uh, and, you know, it'll, it'll have made no difference. It really is kicking the can down the road. Yeah. But also, and- I wonder, uh, Professor, whether or not, um, if the infection rate goes up in that two week period, you know, will we then have to wait for another two weeks to see whether it goes back down again? That That's the whole problem with lockdowns. They only do just move things forward and then if you don't carry on you you become addicted it's a lockdown addiction if you like for the virus you want to but what the virus wants to do is to learn how to live with us in a peaceful way that we can all go about our normal business just like the common cold virus does and the flu virus does we've made such a song and dance about this that unless we relax about it a bit we're going to be stuck. I'm not suggesting we we change anything, we break the law, but we've got to look at things. If you look at the English lockdown, which affects us all profoundly, although you wouldn't think so over the weekend when the car parks everywhere were full and people were walking, luckily, outside. Uh, What is amazing is that all the numbers were actually beginning to come down before the lockdown hit on Thursday. You know, at the last moment, if I'd been Boris, I'd have said, well, hang on, let's just wait a week because things look good to me. Things are looking really good. Of course, now the justification for the lockdown, well, the numbers are coming down. It obviously is the lockdown. But if you look at it, the numbers were coming down before Thursday. So you can't use that excuse. Right. And as far as I can see, in terms of what's actually going on out there in the big wide world, there's not an awful lot of difference between uh, the lockdown uh, and the week before when there wasn't a lockdown. In fact, if anything, I saw more people out this weekend, I think, than normally you would have seen on any other weekend. I think that's right. Trying to carry, you know, when we first went into it, it was a little bit of a, uh, a sort of uh, see what happened. The mm. roads were completely empty, the notices stay home. Now people are just fed up with it. They're carrying on. And it is just an impossible situation to police. I mean, to police with reasonable uh, fairness. I mean, how can you know whether someone's going to work or going uh, to, to go for a walk just for fun? And you're allowed to go for a walk just for fun because you're exercising yeah. yourself. Not to drive somewhere. I mean, I don't know the rules, Mike. I mean, I've stopped. Uh, well, nobody. To... I don't think anybody does. I mean, we're going to be investigating later on in the show precisely what the rules are meant to be. Because there's a guy who's got a two hundred pound fine for going for a cup of tea with his mate in Wigan. Um, there's somebody else who's gone for dinner with somebody, but they've somehow got away with it. It's not very clear, really, is it? 
No, no one's going to admit to breaking the law. I can't in a public place, but the law is stupid here. And I feel sorry for the police having to actually try and implement it when it's so unclear. And uh, it is so ridiculous, the whole thing. Like closing down the Welsh border. Are they really going to do that? Do you have to have a passport to go to Wales? Mm. Uh, Who knows what's going to happen there? Well, exactly. I mean, if you decided for whatever reason uh, to drive your car uh, from Chester into your place of work um, in North Wales, that would be fine. But if you go for a drink while you're on your way home from uh, from your place of work in Wales, is that somehow not allowed? That is the case. I, my understanding, that's allowed. And I think having differences between the four countries, um, Northern Ireland's a little different because it is more isolated because of the, the Irish Sea. Yeah. But the borders are porous. We want to keep them porous. We don't want to have roadblocks and checkpoints and so on. So for goodness sake, it's one country. Let's have one set of rules. Yes. And, you know, it, it is ridiculous. Now, what Boris has got to do uh, is to stop listening to Sage. Just look at the data as it's coming now. Just look at the graphs. I mean, you don't have to be a medic to look at these graphs and say something is changing now. Yeah. And, there's a sequence of events. You look at the, the, the NHS 111 calls, they've gone down. The Zoe app from King's College, that's gone down. Hospital admissions, they've plateaued off. Yesterday's were less than the day before. Okay, we don't want the NHS to get overwhelmed, but the evidence is that we're plateauing out now and that things will come down. And yeah, yeah my Also, the capacity in the NHS is far greater than any of these doomsday scenarios would suggest anyway. Correct. And, you know, a lot of the people that are going in with a COVID label on them would have been in anyway, because it's the time of year when yeah. older people get chest infections, and they go into hospital. And then we've got the social care problem to deal with them getting home again, which has been with us for years now. Every year since I've been a student, people come in under what we call winter pressures. Yeah of capacity basically i mean i was listening to uh, an individual from sage being interviewed over the course of the weekend and she basically said that they didn't really know what to do to stop the virus they she also said that one of the main reasons why the lockdown became um sort of imperative was because of the imperial college survey that's been done recently where i've seen i don't know whether you have but i've seen certainly friends of mine have received a letter from imperial college saying please take part in our study because we're trying to find out how much coronavirus is out there you then agree to do a test which you then send in by mail now who knows whether that's accurate who knows whether or not uh, that is data that is reliable but as a result of that survey that they did effectively um they decided that the infection rate had gone up massively I know it's called the react study uh, and it was claiming that maybe up to a hundred thousand people a, a day are being infected. Yeah. You know, it's back to the old thing. The more you look for it, the more you're going to find it. It's just, if you tested for a harmless virus, like the common cold, or these rhinoviruses that start in the nasal membranes, you go and check for those. You'll find them everywhere, even though no one's complaining of cold symptoms, but they'll find them. In fact, in the Imperial study that was published in September, they showed that the same one you're talking about, the REACT study, it was clear that 72% of people with a positive test had no symptoms whatsoever. They're asymptomatic. Now, that's massive. These people are not ill. And any study biases it for people that are ill because you're incentivized to do something. Oh, I'll get a free test here if I send this off. So people that are ill that have symptoms well, are curious to see if they've got COVID. So you bias it when you do that. Other people say, I'm not interested, I'm fine. Uh, and so moving forward, 
it's great to collect data. And the Liverpool study, it's not really going to help people in Liverpool, but it will collect us a lot of data, which is interesting. Yeah. But I think, it, you know, one can't help feel that the data is being manipulated to try and justify the actions of last week in going into another lockdown. And I think that would be wrong if Boris does, allows that to happen. Well, exactly. And also, over the course of the weekend, not least because we were bombarded with, you know, ridiculous amounts of coverage of the American election, um, we haven't really seen anybody from the government talking much about the infection rates. We haven't heard much about what's happening in the Northwest. We haven't heard what's happening in the Northeast, all of which was supposed to be being sort of, you know, flattening out and supposedly uh, rates going down. We don't hear anything. Uh, for days and days and days. So it puzzles me as to why that is. Uh, it's because it's not, it, it doesn't fit the case of the government last week. Right. And so uh, and it, within the NHS, we're, it's like there's unwritten rules that doctors are not meant to speak out without permission of the yeah. PR offices in hospitals. And they've been told to shut up, basically. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of paranoia out there. And, uh, and yet... Uh, you know, sure, there is a risk the NHS could get overwhelmed. I think that risk has gone now. Okay, it's too early to call. But if once it goes, we should change tack. I mean, the financial consequences for poorer people of this lockdown, kids, adults, Mm. everybody, is just dramatic. Why not review it every Thursday? Boris, please review the data on Thursday, a weekend, and let's see if we can come out on Saturday, if the data looks really good. Yes. it's going to look good. And what about this strange story about the mink? Now, first of all, I had no idea that mink was still even as popular as it apparently still is uh, in parts of the world where they still wear fur. Um, but there's a, a very bizarre thing going on. It seems that they've now found traces of this different sort of mutated coronavirus in mink in all sorts of different parts of the world. There, there, there are five different DNA, uh, so RNA sequences for coronavirus that have been found in mink, so different ones. And the worry, of course, is that if you've got a strange mutant that likes the mink, maybe it's not going to respond to the vaccine. Maybe it's hiding itself from the vaccines. You've got the vaccine studies, which billion-dollar studies, which are coming to a head soon. There's, there's three leading runners, including the Oxford-AstraZeneca one, uh, Pfizer and Moderna. They're all bubbling along. And if mink comes along with a different virus that disguises itself from the vaccine, all that money down the pan because mm. it would take over. So a lot of fuss to try and keep it all contained. Who knows? And, you know, there's no evidence it's more infectious. There's no evidence it's more dangerous. Uh, There is the worry. It's a different type. If it works in mink, it'll work in other species. And that's the spillover into other species. Imagine if it spilled over into pets. What would you do? Shoot the dogs? I mean, you're not shooting my little dog. Well, exactly right. You better not try and shoot mine either. But this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, we've been told in the past, Carol, that, 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 that dogs and cats can carry coronavirus, in which case, even more ludicrous that you would ever try and eradicate it. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, no kidding. I nearly said the wrong thing there. <laughs> if, if you know, if tennis balls carry the virus, why shouldn't a dog carry the yeah. virus? It is uh, why people can't play tennis, why they can't play golf. It, it makes absolute nonsense to me. I just can't understand that. You know, if you've got evidence, let's see the evidence. Mm. It's easy to see the evidence. It doesn't have to be complicated. You put it on the government website. This is why we've banned tennis, yes. or this is why we've banned golf. But there's nothing out there. And it's like almost pettiness just to affect people's lives. Yeah. So they can't play golf because it's a posh sport. Maybe tennis is a sport, posh sport too. But, you know, it's, 
you know, grouse shooting certainly is a posh sport. And you can do that quite freely mm. at, at the moment. Yes, it's very strange, isn't it? And what, what do you make of these stories? And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, uh, that there's going to be the possibility of a vaccine made available somehow in the next three weeks. I don't know where this has come from. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem with testing the vaccines, large numbers of people have to be tested. There's no doubt they work in terms of giving immunity. So the antibodies go up, the T cells go up in the patients that are given the vaccine. And in the control patients, the placebo patients, there's no antibodies, no, no T cell activation. But that's a long way from actually proving that it prevents the disease. And the only way to find that out, you put, give it to 30,000 people, you let them go into the wild out there mixing with people, some will get corona, some won't, and then you look at the control group compare, and you hope that your vaccinated people have no corona and the control group have the normal rate of corona for the environment they're in. Of course, as corona goes down, it gets more difficult to do, and that's why a lot of the trials have been done in countries with a high rate, like such as Brazil. Mm. Uh, the results are expected soon. We're not, you know, it's all secrecy. Uh, you can bet your bottom dollar, the chairman and chief executive, the big farmers who invested billions into this, knowing they're going to get it back from the governments of the world. They'll be singing the praises of their own vaccine. And uh, the question is, uh, when will it happen? So uh, the papers say before Christmas, I suspect it won't be till after Christmas till we can have a proper rollout. Data is got to be assessed, it's got to be analysed. And, you know, no vaccine's ever been developed uh, within such a short time frame. We still don't have one for SARS, and that was 17 years ago, and there isn't one. It's the same type of virus. So. Yeah, but yet still, they pe- the, the people who talk about, you know, getting through it and finding a way out of it, kind of are reliant upon this idea that the vaccine is going to save everybody, when clearly, one, it's a very long way off, and two, it may not work anyway. Absolutely. And of course, there's the anti-vaxxers who won't have it, which will reduce the, 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 the herd immunity that the vaccine will cause. And uh, there's also the how you're going to actually do it. You're going to make it compulsory. You can't make it compulsory. I mean, there may be attempts that employers will say you have to have it, otherwise you can't come to work. But that would seem totally unfair. Yeah. Uh, and there are people that are I imagine allergic. you would challenge anybody challenging that in a court would win. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, we don't live in a police state. You know, we've Not got yet. to be reasonable about it. Exactly. Well, can you explain something to me? Because I get this question quite a bit. Why would it be the case that just because, say, 35 to 40% of the population don't get vaccinated, how does that mean that the vaccine, the vaccinations don't work? So, so basically, it's back to the old chestnut of herd immunity. Right. You've got population so at the beginning everybody's susceptible so we're there we're susceptible the virus comes along and starts bouncing the r number's high it goes from one to one there's nobody immune gradually the population develop immunity naturally in part by being infected and then being immune and then of course you have a vaccine you it's a safer way because you don't have to go through the symptoms you're not going to be admitted for ventilation or anything because you're not getting the virus you're getting a killed form or a a part of the virus to make you immune and as you move on what then happens is that you increase the number of people within the population so the virus when it comes say you're having a little coffee morning which is illegal and i'm not having one here (laughs) uh, your coffee morning uh, the virus has nowhere to go because the next person has been vaccinated. So it just poops out. That's it. Gone. 
and you block the chain of transmission by having, and it works beautifully with polio. I mean, it really does. It's a, it's a, a textbook model in, in the 60s and 70s of how you can, even in very poor countries, with a very cheap nose drop, you can, or put it on the mouth, you can actually obliterate polio, which of course had disastrous consequences, paralyzed children uh, and so on in the years in the past. Absolutely right. Well, listen, all we can do is hope that somebody somewhere in government starts listening to people like you, Professor. Thanks very much indeed, Professor Carol Segura, uh, who thinks we should be a lot more flexible about this lockdown. Because let's face it, if you're living in Wales today, you're able to go out and do all the things that you couldn't do for the last two weeks. But how do you know whether or not what Mark Drakeford ordered, whether this lockdown thing actually worked? How do you know whether it's been a success? Has he claimed that it's a success? If you live in Merthyr Tidville, apparently there's a bigger outbreak there now than there ever was. And we're also hearing that before the lockdown, it would appear that in this country, in England, the, 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 the peak has already happened. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Time now, though, uh, to look across into Europe, into the European continent. Stop looking west. Stop looking at Washington, D.C. Stop staring into the White House uh, Rose Garden and look into the Brussels scenario instead. Adam Mannon is here, uh, Professor, of course, and Director of the UK uh, in a Changing Europe. Adam, very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Yeah, not bad at all. So Brexit and the uh, and the internal markets bill uh, gets an airing today in the House of Lords. I think most people are expecting the House of Lords to give it uh, a bit of a swerve and uh, make them bring it back later. Uh, what's your uh, what's your sort of uh, scenario? What are you seeing? Well, I think there is a very, very strong mood in the House of Lords that is opposed to those elements of the bill that look like. Uh, breaching our agreement under the withdrawal agreement. I think most people expect the laws to try and pass an amendment that removes those sections. The one thing we don't know, and the one thing we never know, is the degree to which this bill was a form of posturing by the government and that actually Boris Johnson might be quite happy to get rid of those bits of the bill anyway. Yes, and I mean, it may well be like a lot of negotiations, I suppose, in, in these in these times that we live, um, that you kind of slightly overstate some things in order to get the thing that you actually wanted, which is the bit down below. Yeah, though these things come at a cost, it's always worth bearing in mind that the very fact of having had a government minister stand up in Parliament and say, yeah, we're going to break international law a little bit of it for specific purposes will have an impact on how others see us. But, you know, be that as it may, one of the things I think Boris Johnson was very, very keen to do in these Brexit negotiations was make it very, very clear he's not Theresa May, that he was willing to stand his ground. And the internal market bill was a very nice vehicle for him to do that. Yeah, it's also one place at the moment where he can kind of seek refuge, because at least for those people who voted for Boris Johnson, they do say, while they don't particularly fancy the way he's handling coronavirus, you know, as long as he gets Brexit sorted properly, um, they might still just about have faith in him. To an extent, yes, though the key word there is getting Brexit sorted properly, because I think amongst those who supported Brexit, there are two ways of getting it sorted properly. For some of them, you need to get a deal. Mm. Uh, so Michael Gove is very much in that camp. He, he's worried about the disruption and the political damage of no deal. There are others within his party who say, actually, we can't sign up to any conditions. You're going to have to sign up to conditions to get a deal. So actually, there is a trade-off here as ever between two groups of people who have a very different perception of what getting a good deal means. So what should we be looking out for today if we are at loose end, given that we haven't got much else to do and we find ourselves watching the House of Lords debate? 
Well, I think one of the interesting things will be the stridency of the rhetoric, that is to say, just how critical some of these peers are of an attempt to breach international law. If you want clues on the Brexit process, however, you'd be looking in the wrong place to look at the House of Lords, because ultimately all the action there is going to be in the negotiations with Michel Barnier. My guess is if the two sides come to an agreement on a future relationship, the government will happily, albeit quietly, remove the offending portions Mm. of the market bill and say that was just there for a worst case scenario as a backstop so to speak. Yes and I mean there's been an awful lot of sort of sound and fury over the course of the weekend about uh, Joe Biden and his interest in the Good Friday Agreement as well as uh, his interest in Ireland in general. I mean I've been uh, busy uh, probably much to the annoyance of some people this morning saying well he's not president yet so let's not get too carried away Uh, he probably will be that may well be the case in a couple of months time but at the moment um, he's hardly going to be bothered about what goes on in the United Kingdom I wouldn't have thought I mean he hasn't yet been welcomed as president by China or Saudi Arabia or Turkey uh, which might be weighing slightly heavier on him I think No, no, absolutely. I don't think this will be his first priority. But the very fact that when the internal market bill was released, you got an official comment from the Biden camp speaks to the fact that whilst this isn't his main priority, it's still important to him. This is a guy who is very proud of his uh, Irish roots. There are rumours swirling around that one of his first visits might be to Dublin. So I wouldn't discount the fact that he and his team take uh, the Good Friday Agreement very, very seriously and are disappointed, let me put it no more strongly than that, with what the government has written in the Internal Market Bill. So it is still an issue, I think. Yes, no, I'm sure that there will be things that are said about it and there will be conversations that will be had at some point. I just don't think um, that, it, that it happens now. As far as the House of Lords, just in terms of procedure is concerned, Annan, um, if they do reject it, as we expect them to do, or ask for amendments to be to be put in, what happens then? Well, ultimately, this will go back to the House of Commons and the House of Commons gets to decide. But in the short term, uh, I imagine that the government will try and park the bill for the short term, because ultimately, as I said, the future of the bill hinges as much on the future of the Brexit negotiations as it does on what the House of Lords does today. And I think the sense you get is that number 10 is keen to get a deal and perhaps keener than it's ever been. And in that sense, I mean, this is possibly the big difference that Joe Biden makes. I think no deal is a more uncomfortable place to be with a Biden presidency than it is with a Trump presidency. So given that, I think the real action is going to be in that that small room where Michel Barnier speaks to uh, David Frost. Yes, and we'll be watching all of that very closely. Anna, thanks very much indeed. Professor Anna Menon, Director of the UK uh, in a changing Europe. There will be a House of Lords debate today. There will more than likely also be lots of people uh, making lots of noises about not leaving the European Union. Because unbelievably, right, one of the reasons why, and I think we can say this now with some uh, assurity, is that one of the reasons why the media uh, in this country is so keen on Biden being the president and so keen on talking him up is because they somehow think, and I think rather mistakenly, that he will somehow stop Brexit from happening. I think there are people who actually believe that. Incredible, isn't it? Let's talk to Philip in Somerset. Hi, Philip. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. It's nice to talk to you again. Yes, indeed. What can I do for you? I wanted to give today credit to the people of Shepton Mallow. Oh, nice. For turning out yesterday. Right. For the memorial uh, service. Yes, was there quite a lot of them? Well, not as many as one would like, but uh, we're a very small town, and there might have been between 50 and 100, and uh, it's a very emotional thing. It really is. It really is. And, you know, we were watching it yesterday in my house, and I was looking at the Queen, and you can almost see when she's thinking in the two-minute silence about what her life was like then. You could almost imagine her doing that, you know? 
Yeah, I will say that we weren't interfered with by the police. That's good. But at the same time, they weren't there to support us in traffic control. We stopped the traffic ourselves by stepping out into the road. OK. So were you able to do a little sort of, um, de- you know, sort of march, if you like? Well, not a march. The British Legion representatives were there and conducted what we might call the ceremony, and we had a bugler, so we had the last post, mm. and we had our two-minute silence and so on, and everybody was very quiet and respectful. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the interesting thing, you could see one or two younger men, obviously servicemen, in the group as well. Mm. Uh, and it's very good to see those turn out. It's very gratifying. There's an awful lot of very, very decent and, and, and well-educated young people. And when I say well-educated, I mean educated in our history who want yes. to actually celebrate and commemorate and remember uh, the people who gave their lives. It's so important that we keep doing that. Listen, Philip, really appreciate your uh, call. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure Shepton Mallet was much like an awful lot of other parts of the country um, where people feel that they need to go out and show their faces. They need to show support. They need to show how much uh, we know that these men and women did for their country and how we should never forget them and how we should always remember them uh, on Armistice Day. And I think uh, anyone who thinks that that's wrong can quite frankly go and take a running jump. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Well, you might be forgiven for thinking that there was no news in this part of the world, apart from uh, gazing admiringly at the messiah that has just emerged as the new man to lead the world, and that is, of course, Joe Biden. Peter Hitchens, of course, uh, has more important things to think about. He joins me now. Peter, very good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, Now, 
you wanted to um, uh, speak about all of the things that are going on with our current lockdown, which we will do. But I'd also like to ask you about Remembrance Sunday. I watched it yesterday. Um, it was, you know, also um, uh, one of those events that I always enjoy watching on television. I I've never actually been to the cenotaph to, uh, to witness it. But an awful lot of people would have liked to have gone and weren't allowed to. Um, it's a little bit, a little bit quiet. Try again. No, it's not quite. Can you get me now? That's it. Yes, there you are. That is. Okay, there we are then. There we are. Yes. Yeah, so let me let me just ask you that again. Remembrance Sunday. Um, I don't know whether you were able to watch it on on television. It was good that it took place, but it was a disappointment for a lot of people who wanted to go uh, and who wanted to celebrate and remember their fallen colleagues. I think. I mean, as always, it, it, it's moving because of what it is but there was something highly peculiar about the sight of people standing uh, these rather ridiculous distances from each other mm. and of course many actual events one of which i had hoped to attend didn't take place right uh, they so the the small church which i attend most weeks and which holds the remembrance service by the local village war memorial had first of all said they were going to move it to a cemetery so we could all stand a long way from each other uh, that we wouldn't be allowed to sing uh, presumably because singing is so dangerous, uh, and then it was cancelled. So I wasn't able to do that. I much prefer these small events. I find them more powerful and more evocative, and having to actually stand outside in the cold for two minutes and open your mind to recollections of what that war must have been like seemed to me to be important, but I couldn't do it. So uh, as a day, it was a, another another day during which the... The calendar was all wrong. Mm. No, it, I, I couldn't it, agree. It had gone more. missing. The, the normal life had gone missing again, and in, in my view, completely unjustifiably. And 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 I, I think that the church has made a terrible mistake by by, by taking the knee uh, to Mike Hancock and his dubious decrees back in March, and mm. he rewarded them by kicking him in the face, basically. Yeah. Well, I heard rather disturbingly different stories over the weekend. Um, I heard Olivia Utley, who's the deputy leader writer on The Sun, saying that members of her family, I'm not sure where they are, uh, were having were going to sort of church secretly and secret church services were going on, unbeknownst to the authorities, which sounded to me like something out of the most despotic part of the world that you would never have imagined. And then secondly, I heard stories of people who were trying to go to pay their respects at sort of local cenotaphs, as many towns and villages have around the country, and they were being stopped from getting too close to the to the monument itself by police. Well, this is, as you say, the idea of church services in a, in a, a Christian country uh, being illegal is, is itself creepy and yeah, disturbing. Yeah, really. Uh, and, and then the idea of, of police trying to prevent people from going to remembrance services, again, it's, it, 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 it's reminiscent of some other kind of country, not this one. I never want to exaggerate these things and say we're now living in some kind of Soviet or Nazi dictatorship because we, we're obviously not. Mm. But we have, we're also not living in, in Britain, as most of us are brought out to understand and know it. No, quite. And that is the problem, isn't it? Because aside from all of those uh, restrictions yesterday, um, I spoke to a veteran, funnily enough, last week, 96-year-old man who had been in the SAS during the Second World War. And he told, as so often these guys do, with, with complete and utter sort of glib disregard, how he was blown up while driving a, a jeep across some part of northern France. Um, the jeep was completely destroyed. He was hurled over a hedge. Um, he managed to survive it, luckily. Um, but he said he can't go to Westminster because they've told him it's too dangerous. No, I know. It's, it's awful, isn't it? I had a week. What, what, what people were prepared to do uh, for the continued freedom of this country 
uh, compared with what we are not prepared to, uh, is uh, it's heartbreaking in a way. I, I, it's almost impossible to to square what goes on now with, say, the country that I was brought up to believe that I lived in. But yeah. it plainly it plainly has disappeared. We don't live there anymore. And I think we now know pretty much what the response of this population will be if there's a serious effort to introduce repression here, uh, greater than the one we have already. Most people will, I think, accept it. And that, that's where we are. It's, it, alas, it is the case. Yes. And I mean, the question I've been asking this morning after discovering that last week, Merthyr Tidville became, I think, the most highly infectious place in the United Kingdom, despite the fact that it had been locked down by Mark Drakeford for the last two weeks, is how do we know that there has been a success in Wales because there doesn't appear to be any measure of that. And Mark Drakeford's already starting to make noises about how life could never return to normal. No. Because of the the nature of the the emotional portrayal of this supposed pandemic, a term I'm very reluctant to use, there's been a presumption in favour of every single uh, belief of those who wanted to shut the country down. It's presumed that uh, lockdowns have an effect. Uh, it's presumed that they, they limit the spread of the disease. Uh, it's, it's presumed that masks have an effect in the same way. We get all these presumptions over and over again, and they are unexamined. And it, it still is the case that if you look at all the countries uh, in the world, and and look at the ones which have most severely shut down their economies and societies. There's no correlation between the severity uh, and the lowering of the death rate. So w- why should there be here? And in any case, what what are we actually doing? When this began, we were told it'd be three weeks to save the NHS to flatten the curve. Mm. Nobody had any illusions about somehow suppressing or removing the disease from from society. It was just a, a matter of which you you possibly can do of slowing down the transmission, mm. but that's all. Uh, and now we've got this mission creep, so we're, as it sort of happened in Vietnam, so starting off from a small intervention, you're, you end up actually trying for the first time in human history to defeat a virus uh, by state action. It's unheard of. Mm. Uh, and in my view, wholly impractical. And I, I, don't, I really don't grasp how this has happened without more scrutiny. Yeah, I know. And maybe it's because it has been done as that kind of mission creep. That, As you say, when we all were told back in the end of March that this is something you're going to have to do for the good of Queen and country, and everybody kind of went, oh, OK, then, that seems fair enough. Well, almost everybody. Is. Well, almost everybody, yeah, as you say. Um, but even those who were reluctant sort of still did it. And, I mean, even you yourself, Peter, have, have said that, you know, you've, you've done things. When we first started these conversations, you said that, you know, if people wanted you to wear a mask, despite the fact that you wouldn't want to normally do that, out of politeness, because you're a polite person, you would do it. Well, I wrapped a I wrapped a scarf around my my, my face, which is something I've done in cold weather. It's yeah. rather different from wearing one of those repulsive muzzles. Um, but I, basically, my view was and has been all along: it's it's as if I were living in a country with a different religion from mine. I'll be respectful yes. uh, without believing it. Yes, but uh, I th- but, but I think right, now right, I'm getting less respectful. I have to say, as, as, as the days go by. Yeah, and I think you're not alone because I've <laughs> I've I've seen uh, I would say absolutely no reduction in uh, the numbers of people walking around. I've seen no reduction in the numbers of people going to work. Uh, So whatever entreaty that Boris Johnson has said to people, please work from home if you can, nobody's doing it who wasn't already doing it. Well, my experience is slightly different. I mean, it's certainly the... the, the, My barometer of small business in Oxford was doing very badly yesterday morning. Yeah. Uh, They're very worried about their future. Uh, My journey in this morning, I had pretty much a train to myself. Uh, Paddington Station, when I arrived, was almost devoid of human, human beings, apart from a small 
number of staff. Mm. So I think it is having some effect. Uh, and the working from home thing, of course, is, is, especially since we continue to shovel out funny money uh, to, to pay for it, uh, it, it continues to be quite appealing to a lot of people. I think some people who had, who had returned uh, to work have now gone back home. And I think it, it has done and will do damage. Don't underestimate the damage this is doing. Uh, to businesses which have survived so far, hmm. especially at a time of year when they really, really need the pre-Christmas trade and they're not getting it. Right. No, I totally don't underestimate that. Um, I, I've, I've always said to you, I can't quite understand where the money's coming from. It's so large now. The numbers are so ridiculous that, that it's almost as though it's out of all proportion with reality. And then well, it's not actually real. Can I advertise here a small piece by Dan Atkinson, a colleague of mine on, mm. on Mail Online, a really astute economic commentator, which I've, I've tweeted a few times and will continue to do so, about how basically the, the Bank of England and the Treasury have together magic 150 billion quid out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, it's very uh, dicey stuff. Uh, it, 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 I, you, it's the sort of thing that, that uh, you, the, the German Reichsbank tried between 1914 and 1924. Uh, when they tried to finance an entire war uh, on the basis of the belief that they would win it, and then they lost it. Mm. Uh, and then there wasn't any money left to, to, to pay. And that was the f fundamental reason, in my view, why, why the German mark collapsed in the 1920s. I think we are on certainly on target, for not for a collapse of this pound sterling, certainly a very major reduction in its real value in the next few years. Uh, it's, it's happening. And if you read Dan Atkinson's piece, it's amazing the, the magic they use I have a feeling if private business did what uh, the government and the Bank of England are doing now, they'd get into quite serious trouble. Well, they wouldn't be allowed to, would they? You wouldn't be able to borrow that much money. I mean, the only thing, I suppose the only thing you can say which is similar uh, is in the cases where, um, not necessarily the banks, I'd rather not use them as, a, as an example, but certainly there have been organisations, companies, which were in so much hock to the banks that the banks could not let them fall or fail because they owed them so much money. So it was in their interest to keep them going. Similarly, I wonder... Uh, and I don't say this with any assuredness, um, I wonder whether the world's uh, economies will have to be somehow artificially kept afloat for the rest of time. Well, maybe they can't be, that's the trouble. Yeah, uh, well, this, I, you know... This, this, is, this is the grave worry which we face. Can, will, can all this be sustained indefinitely, or will it eventually come back to bite us so hard that we don't really have economies anymore? Mm. Uh, all our savings are gone. We cease to be independent beings. All the people in society spent years building up savings, uh, buying the houses and all the rest of it, establishing pensions, suddenly all become wholly dependent on the state, and a state which is much poorer than the one we have now. This is what frightens me. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, again, we, we had a call last week from uh, a, a very a pleasant woman from, um, I think it was Droitwich, who runs a stationery shop in a shopping centre, uh, who was told by the police who visited her that she had to close her shop or face a £200 fine despite the fact that two doors down in the shopping centre, WH Smith's was allowed to sell exactly what she sold, but uh, it, was, uh, it was necessary and essential because they also sold sandwiches and newspapers. Yeah, it, these, these rules are ridiculous. The thing is, you can actually... You, you, this is why, one of the reasons why the Welsh government got into trouble, but telling supermarkets it couldn't, they couldn't sell things a few weeks ago because I think what they were trying to do, and I don't, don't want to be too unfair to them, was to protect the small shops from from competition from bigger shops which were not restricted. Mm. And the whole, the, the, once you start shutting down shops, this kind of thing arises. The simplest way of avoiding this, don't shut down shops in the first place. Right. Don't, don't shut down employment. Don't strangle their own economy. But trying to get anybody to understand that strangling your economy is wildly disproportionate response 
uh, to a disease which, as I keep saying, while unpleasant, simply isn't serious enough to justify this, remains the biggest struggle of our time. Why are we doing this? Well, Why can't bring it to an end? It's, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a madness abroad. Which people are incredibly willing to accept unexamined. And I, I do think the whole role of facts and reason in our society has diminished almost to a speck. Hardly anybody seems to be interested in either. But isn't it interesting as well that when they do have an element of opportunity in Parliament to scrutinise what's going on, there was only something like, what was it, 38 um, 38. Tory MPs who voted against. Now, given that the, 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 even if you believe the the YouGov surveys that say that, you know, two thirds of the country want a lockdown, you've got a third of the country, uh, which is not represented by 38 people, I'm afraid, inside uh, a place where they have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of MPs. You know, why are so few of them willing to stand out here? Because they're afraid of the of the of, of the government party of, of the whips who keep them in order, and they need to be more afraid. And I'll say this again: and people should be doing it now. They should be doing it all the time. Don't try to reason with your member of parliament. Most of them are boobies who can't reason and, and, and wouldn't understand. And don't worry about the stupid replies which you'll get, which will be printed off from some website. Just carry on writing to them very briefly. Don't waste any time. Be brief and be polite. But be acid and, and say, say this over and over again. If you continue to put people out of work and destroy their businesses, why should you expect still to be in work yourself after the next election? And this will have an effect if enough people do it. Honestly, demonstrations are useless and a waste of time. I'm not going to advocate any kind of civil disobedience to breaking the law. But if enough people will just write to their members of parliament and say to them, look, unless you stop this, you've lost my vote forever. You will lose your job. There is no such thing as a safe seat. Look at what happened to Labour in Scotland, where they all thought they were safe. There is yeah. no such thing as... When people understand what this absurd strangling of the economy has done to their lives, their livelihood, their children's futures, uh, the, the health service, everything they value about our society, when that sinks in, there will not be a single member of parliament whose seat, whose seat is safe unless they now stand up and say, we've had enough of this. And the only way this will get through is not by the eloquence of your argument, it's by the number of people emailing, emailing and emailing to say this over and over and over again. So the next time this comes up, they vote against it in such numbers that the government has to give in or fall. And it's the only way you'll get anywhere. And I keep on saying it. It's within your power. Uh, and uh, and there is a, there's a website called writetothem.com where you can get the details mm. of, of all the, of the email addresses of your MP. Write to him or her now and keep doing it. Get your friends and neighbours to do it. Get your work colleagues to do it. Get passers-by in the street to do it. Don't waste time reasoning. Just say, yeah. if you won't, if you won't help, help keep other people in a job, why should you keep yours? And, well, I think, I, and I think more than ever, Peter, it's worth doing because this is clearly a government um, that reacts to public opinion. You know, it uses data. The Sunday Times did a piece some months back saying that the, basically the sort of the, the, the political unit inside of number 10 is absolutely obsessed with data. You know, Dominic Cummings obsessed with data. So if the data actually shows that people are unhappy, they will react, as indeed okay. they did at the weekend over, over free school meals. Yeah, and they, they spend, I suppose, in, in a way, free, freedom from the, the COVID madness needs its own Marcus Rashford. If there are any footballers out there who want to, who want to start a fight on this, <laughs> then please, let's, let's, let's find out who they are and get them involved. But Downing Street spends huge quantities of money and effort on propaganda. And if that propaganda starts to fail, then they will give in. But you, this is the way to do it. So what people foolishly imagine is that they could, by eloquence and long, long uh, disquisitions, they can persuade their MPs. That's not the point. 
The point is, MPs must see thousands of emails in their inbox mm. saying, stop doing this or you're sacked. Yeah. That's what MPs must see. Stop doing this or you're sacked, mate. Yeah. And, and then they will change their minds because they need to be more afraid of the voters than they are of the government whips. Yes. Or, or the opposition whips in the case of the Labour Party, which is also determined to fling all its voters on the door. Yeah, because that does surely at some point or other. I mean, we're told that, you know, um, this whole lockdown for, for four weeks is going to be so that Christmas can be relatively normal. I don't really believe that. And I'm sure you don't either. Um, no. And I'm sure that they will continue if they were to make Christmas somehow, you know, lockdown free. Uh, they bring another one in in January uh, because they don't seem to yet get the idea that people are not buying it anymore. Well, too many people still are buying it. And that's another problem. People are, people buy it because the government appears still to be confident. Because the the dissenting scientists, such as Sinatra Gupta, are still not getting a fair crack, crack of the whip from the broadcasting organisations, uh, because not enough of the newspapers uh, are actually uh, paying attention to the, the needs and desires of their of their readers and are still carrying on, urging their readers to support national bankruptcy and the destruction of the NHS, which is what's visibly going on. And more and more, it comes out. The collateral damage from this, uh, and Sinatra Gupta has now set up a website on collateral damage. The collateral damage of this to cancer patients, heart patients, huge numbers of other people who needed treatment and need it now uh, is is colossal. Mm. And almost certainly at the end of this, when the accounting is finally done, the grim accounting of life and death, it will turn out that more people have died because of the government's reaction to the coronavirus than have died from the coronavirus itself. And let me ask you this as a final question, just slightly off to the side. I mean, I'm staggered at the weekend, given that we are uh, where we are with coronavirus, that we are in the midst of a pandemic uh, sort of overreaction, perhaps, or whatever you may feel that it is in a lockdown. And yet we're getting wall to wall sort of minute, minutiae coverage of how they were voting in Allegheny County, how great Joe Biden is, how brilliant that uh, he's now won the presidency, which he hasn't actually won yet. I mean, when did we become quite so craven as a media? to this i've no idea i mean, my view of the united states is that it is a foreign country yeah uh i lived there and found just how foreign it was uh that it's not by any means necessarily a country friendly to us i've just reposted on my blog and on a number of other places articles i've written in a bbc radio 4 program i made when i was still allowed to do that uh on how the special relationship is and is, is is a is a laughable myth yeah uh, it's, it's not true. I, I don't, it's partly, I suppose, because uh, people, journalists love going to uh, the United States on somebody else's, on somebody else's money. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a great trip. They can't much a trip now with all, everyone being forced to wear muzzles and, yeah. uh, and not being allowed to travel and all the rest of it. But nonetheless, that's, it, it, is, it, it seems to me to be grossly over-covered yeah. uh, in British media. And, and, of course, the BBC does this at the Olympic levels, as it, as it always has. I... I I am. I was cured, really, of interest in, in American politics to that level by being very, very close to it in Washington, D.C. for two years. It doesn't really bother me very much uh, who is president of the United States, uh, let's be frank. In 1776, they declared independence, and they're, they're, they're jolly well entitled to it, and let them have it, and, and we'll leave them to it. Uh, honestly, I could do with more coverage of some other uh, equally interesting countries of which we hear very little and, uh, and, and which we don't get. Particularly, I'd hear, like to hear an awful lot more about China mm. and the hideous way in which that country is governed uh, rather than going on and on about the United States. Yes, I think that would be a far better use of taxpayers' money and licensed payers' money as well. Peter, thank you very much, as ever. Peter Hitchens there, uh, reporting in to us uh, once again. Uh, every week uh, we get Peter on on a Monday uh, to discuss what's going on. Uh, he seems less, uh, I would say, encouraged uh, than ever 
by what the political leaders of this country are doing. And he does urge you to write to your MP, which you should do, uh, to at least engage with them and make them realise that you pay their salaries, that you pay their expenses, that they work for you and you are entitled to express your view of what they are doing. And if you think they're doing something wrong, then you should tell them so. It's as simple as that. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, let's talk about something uh, slightly different over there in the US of A, because you might have imagined that there would have been parties going on all over the mansion of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry uh, after the so-called uh, nomination uh, as the new president of Joe Biden by all sections of the media, apart from me, of course. Uh, Angela Levin's here with us, though, because wouldn't you know it, uh, poor old Harry couldn't make it to the Remembrance Sunday um, commemorations, even though his brother was there, uh, his sister-in-law was there looking magnificent, the Queen was there, uh, of course his father was there, uh, all sorts of other people, his aunt was there as well, uh, but they had their own private service in a cemetery all on their own that seemed to be closed off just for them, and bizarrely there was a photographer there as well. Angela, a very good morning to you. Good morning. So, um, wonders never cease, you know, as I was watching it yesterday morning, I just thought, wouldn't it have been nice to see Harry emerge uh, from that doorway besides all of the other people from the royal family who were there just to show yeah. that actually he really did care about his former colleagues in the marines and and his uh, uh, his military background but instead we see this kind of you know a stunted up picture for want of another word of him looking solemn with his uh, wife looking even more solemn uh, dressed immaculately um in a in a war grave situation mm. well the whole point of it was to get some self-publicity. Yeah. There's still this argument going on, this battle of anything that the royal family do, they have to do a sort of one-upmanship mm. and do it better. But it's always about them. They always get it wrong because they can't see from the other side. And this looked like some glossy, free magazine that wanted to do a, shash, a fashion show yeah. with her new black coat and actually thought that the, the cemetery would be a rather nice um, backstop being the, the, I know. The it begs belief, doesn't it? I mean, it looked like it was a sort of promo picture for a movie, didn't it? Yes. Yes. Absolutely um, dreadful. I, I thought the, the, the sort of cheapo um, fashion magazine that you chuck out pretty quickly. Uh, and I thought it was terribly sad um, Harry wasn't there. But also when you look at the three army medals he had on his jacket, it was so placed. Mm. It was such a sort of nonsensical thing to do right. when he's out there. Um, he should have gone quietly with Megan and felt sad that he wasn't there. And, and But they always have to control it. Yes. Um, they would pay the photographer. They would release it as a press release after it had happened. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't work like that. And in retrospect, one sees how Megan couldn't fit in. She couldn't accommodate a different way of promoting the royal family or promoting its causes. Um, it's, no, because, it's because inter that's why I said I'd hoped to see him emerging from the doorway, not the two of them, because if she had been there, it would have been all about trying to upstage Kate, who looked fantastic and magnificent and very regal, a lot of people pointed right. out, you know, the queen-in-waiting kind of thing, uh, a fantastic mm. picture of her. But if, if Meghan had been there, it would have been all about them, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, it's, the sad thing is that Harry was always complaining he was second to William, mm. inevitably, and William was further ahead because he was going to be king. Yeah. But now it appears that he's second to Meghan, 
and he he walks around looking so sad and withdrawn um, and, and sort of does what he's told. And I think that she probably set this up. He agreed with it as he agrees with everything. And, and it's, it's, it's incredibly sad. But what they have to know is actions have consequences. Yeah. If you walk away and you do it suddenly and you do it ungraciously, then you can't expect everybody to warm totally towards you and let you cherry pick what you would like to do as part of the royal family. Well, we it's saw, I think, in a recent poll that he's become uh, about as unpopular as Camilla Parker Bowles. Um, and that's saying something because she's actually come back a bit in the uh, in the good books of the, of I'm the great, great British public. Of Camilla. I, I think Camilla's great, actually, and, and she's she doesn't deserve to be down the track. No, but um, she's never going to recover from the fact that some people see her as the person that broke up the marriage to the saintly Princess Diana. Yeah, that's true, but we have to move on after 20-something years, you know. <laughs> I know. But- Listen, tell me about it. Speaking of which, by the way, I'd love to get your view on this BBC drama because Martin Bashir... Um, previously seen as this very kind of a fine upstanding um, pillar of journalism um, is being rather torn apart by the Daily Mail at the moment with uh, Lord uh, with uh, Earl Spencer and his allegations that the BBC have now apologised for. But the latest thing uh, is that uh, is Martin Bashir, who's supposedly very ill with coronavirus, was spotted out and about um, on Friday uh, in a takeaway near his house. Yes. Well, apparently, um, Tal Spencer spoke to the BBC very soon after the documentary. Mm. They investigated, said everything was fine, as they usually do. You know, we can't do anything wrong here. And perhaps they are protecting him, Bashir. But what I can't understand is why it's come up now, 25 no, years. No, that's the bit I don't get. I'm assuming somebody must have tipped Spencer off to the fact that it was all a ruse. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, the, the, the man who, who forged the bank accounts has said that he did do it. He's admitted that. But I don't know how, if you're so angry and you feel your sister is having such a disgusting time, why you don't do something nearer the mm. event? Yes. No, well, I mean, as, as is often the case in these scenarios, there's no real um, person with the moral high ground, certainly not Earl Spencer, given what some of the things that he's done over the past uh, recent history, but shall we say. Angela, listen, we've got to run because we're getting late. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin there, uh, who is, of course, royal biographer, telling us what she makes of the rather, I thought, uh, distasteful and badly timed uh, interjection from the Duke and Duchess of Netflix, who decided it was a great idea to do a sort of promotional video uh, in a cemetery. For heaven's sake, get a grip, will you? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 